Well, good morning, Calvary. This is a, always an exciting week in the life of our church because this is Move Up Sunday. It's the day when all of our kids and, and teens head up to the next grade, and of course, they're starting new grades at school as well. And so this is really a Sunday in which we focus on the next generation. And as a church, we are committed to raising up the next generation in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And uh, even as we speak, all of those kids and teens are in their classes throughout the building, learning the word of God and, and growing in their understanding of our great Savior. And so I want to just invite you to join me in praying for them, uh, praying that the Lord would, would bless them, that the Lord would save them, right? People are, our kids are not born uh, saved, they are born and then they need to be born again. And so we're praying that the Lord will do a work in each heart. It's one of our greatest evangelistic opportunities, it's one of our most vital responsibilities to mentor and to disciple our young ones. So please join me in praying uh, for our kids and teens as they start a new year. Lord, we are grateful, uh, Lord, for uh, the blessings uh, of our children and the teenagers, uh, Lord, that you have given us as a church. Lord, they are such a vital part of this church body. They are a cherished part of our body, a beloved part of our body. And Lord, we pray that even now as they're in their classes, Lord, that you would bless them, that those who don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior would come to saving faith. They have already been born, Lord, our prayers that they may be born again. And Lord, help us to lead them, uh, Lord, to those glorious truths of the gospel. Lord, we pray that you'd also help us to equip them as they grow up in a fallen world, Lord, to meet the challenges uh, that will, and the testing of their faith that will come. Help us as a church body to equip them, to mentor them, to disciple them in the most holy faith, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, that they may stand firm uh, against the schemes of the devil, that they may be a light in this dark world. Lord, we pray that you would uh, use this generation, this young generation, to spark a revival. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, since this is uh, Move Up Sunday, and because it's such an important day in the life of our church, I decided to focus uh, this morning's message on the next generation. And so this message is, in some senses, particularly for children and teenagers and young adults, but in another very important sense, it's for all of us, because as we're going to see in our text, the younger generation is instructed in the verse we're going to be studying to be an example for all those who believe. The Lord wants our young people to live exemplary lives of faith so that they become even an example to those of us who are older. So what the Lord tells the young people to be and do in this verse is what he wants all of us to be and to do. And the text that I have in mind is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. So turn there in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says in 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, 
love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Timothy, don't let anyone look down on your youth, but instead, set an example. Be an example. Be exemplary in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Now, as with any text of Scripture, we want to be careful to interpret this verse and understand it in its proper context. First Timothy is a letter which the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy shortly after he had become the pastor of the church in Ephesus. In those days and in that culture, older people were highly respected, and that, of course, is a good thing. But younger people were not respected. In fact, you could say that they were disrespected or looked down upon. And as this verse is going to show us, that is not a good thing. It's a good thing that older people were respected. It is not a good thing that younger people were disrespected. In that culture, anyone under the age of 40 was considered to be young. And young people were, generally speaking, looked down upon. Now, Timothy was probably in his early 30s when Paul writes this letter to him. And Paul knew that some people would look down on Timothy because he was still considered in that society to be young, to be youthful. And if Timothy was intimidated by that, or if he became discouraged by that, then his preaching of the gospel would be hindered, his leadership would be compromised in the church, and the believers and the progress of the gospel would suffer as a result. So Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him not to let that happen, not to let his age become the deciding factor of his ministry. Don't let this happen, Timothy, is Paul's exhortation. So it's important to remember that context. This verse was originally written to a young pastor. However, though it was written to a young pastor, it contains helpful principles for all young people. And since the verse itself says that the things which Paul tells Timothy are supposed to be an example for all believers, the principles in this verse are really for all of us. And so while in one sense this message is for the next generations, it in another sense is for all of us. So let's study this verse and learn the lessons that the Holy Spirit had in mind for all of us and for each one of us individually as he inspired Paul to write these words to Timothy. Let me read the verse again. Let no one Look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. I want to begin our study by directing your attention to that first phrase. Let no one look down on your youthfulness. And I think there are two principles that we can glean from this first phrase. And that first principle is this. While scripture does instruct us to honor those who are older, 
It also forbids us from looking down on those who are younger. Let me repeat that. While Scripture does instruct us to honor those who are older, it also forbids us from looking down on those who are younger. Now, in Timothy's day, as I mentioned, the society held older people in high esteem and looked down on young people. What is the situation like in our day? Well, it's a little more complicated because we are multicultural, and so in some aspects of culture, we honor the aged, but in other aspects, we do not. And in fact, I think you could say that in our day, as a whole, society honors youth and dishonors those who are older. So really, in our society, it's kind of the opposite of what was happening in Paul's day. In Paul's day, they honored the older and looked down on the younger. In our day, generally speaking, our society looks down on those who are older and honors those who are younger. That is especially true in media and entertainment. And I want to help you realize that this is an anomaly in world history. In most societies, in most of human history, older people were considered to be the most venerable people in society because they were the wisest and had the most understanding based upon their much greater and longer experience in life. Most cultures in most of human history have venerated those who are older, but not ours. And most of that is due to the influence of a very small group of people who have a very immense platform. And I'm speaking of the Hollywood and media elites. In the warped worldview of Hollywood and media elites, older people are constantly portrayed as being barriers to progress being behind the times or being on the wrong side of history. Why? Why do they look down on those who are older? It's a very simple reason. Hollywood despises and looks down on older people because statistically more older people than younger people do not accept their warped and perverted views of morality and of ethics particularly their warped and wicked views of gender and sexuality. That's why they view older people as a barrier. That's why they view them as a problem. That's why they view them as, quote, the wrong side of history. And they believe that once the older generation is gone, and they give the impression they can't wait for that to happen, then they'll be able to partake in all of their debauchery with no one to even hint that it might be wrong. So what do they do? In movies and media, older people are mocked and ridiculed and labeled the problem. What are they doing? They are turning children against their parents. They are turning the younger generation against the older generation. They're dividing families. They are creating division for their own purposes, their own agenda. Young people, I want you to know what God's perspective is. This is God's perspective. Disrespect towards your elders 
is wrong and it is sinful. One of the Ten Commandments is to honor our parents. We are to honor them. Not just treat them cordially, but honor them. That includes, by the way, when they get elderly. When you reach adulthood and your parents, therefore, are heading into the upper age ranges, you are still to honor them. Proverbs 23:22 says, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Don't let honor become despising. Listen to them and do not despise them. The scripture is full of admonitions to honor the aged. In Job 12.12, Job says that wisdom is with the aged and that understanding comes from length of days. You know, young people can acquire lots of knowledge, but it takes time to acquire wisdom. And the young person who is filled with knowledge, but not with wisdom, who despises the aged who through length of days have acquired understanding, who through long life have acquired wisdom, that young person who despises that wisdom is, according to Scripture, a fool. It's foolishness. Proverbs 16, 13 says, a gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. Proverbs 17, 6 Grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of sons is their fathers. See, it's the relationships between the generations are supposed to be crowns of glory. Grandchildren giving honor to their grandparents and young men finding honor in honoring their own fathers. Proverbs 20 29, the glory of young men is their strength and the honor of old men is their gray hair. And then listen to Leviticus 19.32. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged and you shall revere your God, I am the Lord. Right, this is the Lord's perspective on generational relationships. You shall rise up before the gray-haired headed and honor the aged and you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. You know, one time I was uh, invited to a meeting. There's uh, quite a few leaders of different uh, missions agencies. And then there were a significant group of the top leaders, uh, national church leaders from several uh, former Soviet countries. So this is a really important meeting discussing church planning and, and strategy and some, some very important things. And so here you have kind of these important leaders from these countries. I mean, these are men whose leadership roles encompassed thousands of churches and hundreds of thousands of believers. These were important men. And they're having this important meeting. Right in the middle of the meeting, the door opens and this elderly man comes tottering in with a cane, uninvited. And this man was over 100 years old. And he just tottered right up to the front. But as soon as everybody saw him, they stopped the meeting, everybody stood, and they waited until, and they remained standing until he got to the front. And then the man who was leading the meeting said, motion for everyone to sit, and, and, and said, brother, what would you like to share? And 
he shared in his crackling voice a testimony of God's faithfulness for over a century and then exhorted the leaders to make sure that a century from then that that testimony of faith would continue. It's a really striking lesson for me to see these leaders of hundreds of thousands stop, rise in the presence of this elderly man and give him the floor. They were practicing that Leviticus passage. They stood in the presence of the gray-headed and they honored him. Young people, I want to encourage you to respect and to honor those who are older than you, and especially the elderly people in our church. They've lived through a lot, a lot more than you know. They know a lot, a lot more than you think, and they've earned the respect and the honor of the whole church. They've walked miles down the road you're just starting. So respect them, honor them, learn from them, spend time with them, be blessed through them, and be a blessing to them. One of the greatest blessings in my life has been the way that the Lord has brought older people into my life to mentor and to teach me. My first ministry was when I was 22, and I served under uh, pastor and New Testament professor, uh, Dr. C.W. Smith. He was in his 70s at the time. He had over 50 years of pastoral ministry and teaching experience. Then when he passed away and I became the senior pastor in his place, I served on a board at that tiny little church, and the next younger guy was about 25 years older than me, and most of the guys were in their 70s and 80s. The chairman of the board was 89 at the time I started in 93 when he passed away. Throughout my life, the Lord has blessed me to be surrounded by older mentors. When I was on the mission field, I served under Dr. Bob Provost, who is about four decades older than me. And I served on the Ukrainian side under Pastor Vladimir Shemchizny, who's about two decades older than me. So the two men I served under, one was the age of my father and the other was the age of my grandfather. And we would joke that I had a biological father and grandfather and then I had missions fathers and grandfathers. I grew so much just by being around them, just by watching them and imitating their way of life. Younger people, let me give you a piece of advice you'll never regret. Find older people to mentor you and to disciple you. Spend time with them. Seek them out. Sometimes younger people have the idea that, oh, we should, you know, we should go do, do a good deed and go to the nursing home. No, no, go to the nursing home to be blessed. Go to the nursing home to learn. You will find treasures there that none of your peer group can give you. It's good to have friends and peers your own age, but having godly mentors who are older is essential. You know, whenever we go to Colorado, we go on these backpacking trips on these long hikes. You know, sometimes you're kind of getting weary. This last one, about a 15 mile up and down and uh, carrying tents and then I was carrying my daughter uh, for some of that. 
the younger one. <laughs> Where are you, Lath? Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you know, at certain times, you know, you're, you're getting tired. It's hard to go on. Maybe a little discouraged. Man, we're never going to get there. And then what happens is, you know, you meet someone who's kind of coming back down the trail. And as they're going by, they're like, they're like, good job, you're almost there, keep going, just a half mile more. It gives you such renewed energy. And I'm telling you, young people, you need people who have gone down the path in front of you. They may be on the declining side of life. You may be meeting them as they're descending while you're ascending. But you need their encouragement and you need their advice. There's been more than one time where I've been following a trail and I took the wrong fork and someone who had come down that trail or who was coming the other way said, hey, are you trying to get to this? No, you took the wrong way. Have older mentors. Seek them out. Look for opportunities to fellowship with them, to serve with them. If you can't find any, just call the church office. Ask for Dan Johnson. See, whenever, you know, sorry, we've been... Dan and I have had this kind of running joke. Anyway, I don't know why. We, it's like three, for like a period of a month, we've all been uh, teasing Dan, and I don't know why, where it started or how, but we can't get out of it as a staff. It's kind of funny. Dan, I'm sorry. Where is Dan? No, but contact Dan Johnson and ask to go with him when he goes to visit some of our elderly saints. These folks in their 80s, 90s, some of them that are unable to come here, go with him and not only will you be a blessing to them, but you'll walk away from there incredibly enriched. Some of my favorite experiences here at Calvary have been going with Dan to visit some of those senior saints and hearing some of the stories about when this church first started and the incredible legacy of faithfulness that's there. So the first thing I want to emphasize is that we need to reject our society's disdain of the elderly and recover a biblical perspective which honors and respects the aged. I want and frankly will insist that that be true here at Calvary. But while scripture does instruct us to honor those who are older, it also forbids us from dishonoring those who are younger. See, it's not one or the other. It's not honor the aged and therefore look down on the younger. No, it is that the younger are to be held in normal respect and the aged are to be held in higher respect. First Timothy 4.12 says, let no one look down on your youthfulness. And church, this is where some of us, myself included, need an attitude adjustment in the way that we think and the way that we talk about the younger generations. How many of us have been guilty of looking down on millennials or looking down on Gen Z or looking down on whatever the name is of the generation that comes after Gen Z, Gen double Z or anyway. Right? How many of us have been guilty of looking down on people's youthfulness? Young people are rightly tired of hearing how bad their generation is, and they rightly detect more than a little hypocrisy in those criticisms when it comes from the hippie generation. <laughs> Boomers, don't forget what your generation has brought to our history and to our fashion and to our morals. 
Don't forget it was your generation that started the sexual revolution. The younger generations are just taking that mentality and ideology to its logical destination. It was an older generation that took that path. It's the younger generations that are barreling down the path that their grandparents and parents have set for them. Yes, they are taking it to the next level of depravity and debauchery and perversion, but who chose the path? By the way, my generation, which is Gen X, sometimes we sit kind of smug, right? Because everybody kind of, you know, dogs on the boomers and then dogs on the millennials and we're right in the middle, hoping no one will notice us. But we are the parents of Gen Z. So it's pretty lame to criticize the children and not those who raised them. Are there major reasons to be concerned for the younger generations? Yes, but many of those reasons to be concerned come from the bad teaching, bad examples, and bad ideologies that our generations have passed on to them. So don't look down on them because of their youthfulness, and don't assume that their generation will be a spiritual disaster. Maybe their generation will be the generation of revival. Maybe their generation will lead the third great awakening. Maybe it will be young men and young women of God who will take a stand against the rising tide of wickedness and their light will shine brighter because things are getting so dark. I believe millions of young people are searching now because evil is churning and chewing and spitting them out. And I believe the time is coming when many of them will begin searching for answers. And they'll look to the Lord. Young people, I believe that you can be the revival generation. I am optimistic, not pessimistic about your future. I'm optimistic, not pessimistic about what church historians in the future will write about you. I believe God can use you to do great things, but for that to happen, there are some prerequisites, and that's what I want to talk to you about in 1 Timothy 4.12. There's five prerequisites. But before we turn there, I want to just give a second principle from that first phrase, right? Let no one look down on your youth. I want you, youth, to notice that the best way to stop people from looking down on your youth is to prove their assumptions about young people are wrong. That's what this verse essentially says. Notice the word but in 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to be an example of those who believe. This is the prove it verse. Don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, but prove them wrong. Prove that you are exemplary in your speech, your conduct, love, faith, and purity. Paul is telling to Timothy, look, there are going to be people who look down on you simply because you are young. Prove them wrong by being exemplary in these five areas. That word but there shows a contrast, and the contrast points us to the solution. The way that young people should stop people from looking down on them is not to whine about it, 
but to prove by their actions that those who look down on them have been wrong all along. So how can millennials, Gen Z, and younger generations, our kids, our teens, and young adults, how can they keep people from looking down on their youthfulness by showing themselves to be exemplary believers? Do not let anyone look down on your youthfulness, but rather show yourself to be an example of those who believe by proving it with godly speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Young people, if you're tired of hearing that your generation is selfish and sinful, then prove them wrong. Prove them wrong by an exemplary life. A life that makes everyone say, now wait a minute, Yes, there's some problems in this generation, but I know some young people, those young people at Calvary Bible Church, for example, and they are exemplary in their speech. They are exemplary in their conduct. They're exemplary in their love and in their faith and in their purity. Set an example for those who believe. Prove them wrong by being the type of person that someone can point to and say, no, 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 when I think of a true Christian, I think of that 14-year-old kid. I think of that 22-year-old young adult. I think of that young pastor named Timothy in Ephesus. In order to do that, in order to prove them wrong, there are five areas of life you'll need to work on. Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Speech is what you say and how you say it. So the question is, how do you develop patterns of communication and skill in communication? that will truly be exemplary, right? Where when people listen to you talk, they say, now that's how a Christian communicates. When they see you dialoguing online, they say, now that's how a Christian does it. How can you be exemplary in your speech? You know, the solution doesn't lie with your tongue, it lies with your heart. Jesus taught that whatever is in the heart will come out of our mouths, Luke 6, 45. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. In other words, the mouth is just the spout on a pitcher or the spout on a jug. Whatever's in the pitcher or in the jug is what will come out of the spout. So the key to controlling what comes out of your mouth is to control what goes into your heart, right? The key to controlling what comes out of your mouth is to control what goes into your heart, right? If you, you know, are dipping your jug into the sewer, don't be surprised when that's what comes out of the spout. If you're dipping your pitcher into the holy word of God, that's what will come out. If you are filling your heart with God's word and the glories of the gospel, your speech will be filled with truth, with love, and with grace. But if you're filling your heart with worldly and fleshly things, your speech will be filled with lies and deception, selfishness, and a critical spirit. Whatever goes into the heart will come out of the mouth. The old illustration is it's like a sponge, right? Whatever is in the sponge is eventually going to come out, especially when it's squeezed. So to change your output, you need to change your input. And reading and memorizing scripture is a great place to start. You need to 
fill your heart with God's word if you want the fruit of the spirit and godly things to come out of your mouth. Make it your goal to be exemplary in what you say and how you say it. As Christians, we are commanded to speak the truth. That's what we say and in love, that's how we say it. The second quality is not just speech, but conduct. Conduct is what you do and how you do it. It's your behavior. And in order to have exemplary conduct, you have to know what exemplary conduct is, right? It's kind of hard to have exemplary conduct if you don't know what exemplary conduct is. And here is where the great divide happens. Because our world, as I've talked about before, is moving from a postmodern worldview where truth is relative to an inverted moralistic worldview where the world says there are moral absolutes, but they get them all wrong. They call good evil and evil good. So that presents you with a choice. Who determines what is right and what is wrong? What is good and what is evil? Is it your you know, gender studies professor? Or is it the one who made him? Is it the creation or the creator? Who is the lawgiver? Who determines what is righteous and what is unrighteous? What is just and what is unjust? What is moral and what is immoral? The world is trying to tell you that everything immoral is moral and that which is moral is immoral. So you have to choose. They can be your God, right? From whom you receive your moral guidance is your God. So many young people worship, worship their professors and their peers. They are unworthy objects of, wor of worship. To know how to live, you have to go to the one who made life. And that means you've got to go to his word. So the prerequisite to being exemplary in conduct is to develop ethical and moral convictions which are firmly rooted in a deep and systematic study of Scripture. You have to know what is right before you can do what is right. You have to know what is wrong before you can avoid doing what is wrong. So you've got to study God's word, Psalm 119.11, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. But of course, knowing what's right and wrong isn't enough if you don't put it into practice, right? James 1.22 says, look, if you just hear the word and don't do what it says, you're deceiving yourself. All you're doing is building hypocrisy, right? I know what's right, I do what's wrong. That's hypocrisy, right? So James says, don't just be a hearer of the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. You have to know what is right and then you have to obey what is right. You have to actually do what is right. And then you have to keep doing what is right until it becomes a deeply ingrained habit, pattern, and conviction of life that doesn't waver no matter what happens. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, discipline yourself for godliness. That word can be translated as train yourself for godliness, right? Like an athlete, he keeps making the same shot until there's muscle memory. You need to train yourself to do good where your responses are always in line with God's word. Otherwise, you'll shoot a bunch of air balls in life. 
Third quality is love. You need to be exemplary in love. This is what you really care about and how you show it. Jesus said we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. Are you exemplary in love? Love, first of all, for God. That's the first and greatest commandment. And then love for others. By the way, if your love for God is not first, you will totally mess up your love for other people. If you don't love God, you cannot love other people rightly. Fourth quality is faith. This is what you believe and how willing you are to take a stand for it. And there's two aspects of faith I want to just mention. The first is the content of your faith. A lot of young people can do algebra, trigonometry. They're quite knowledgeable about chemistry or history or whatever subject they're interested in, right? You ask them about those subjects and they can just give you in great breadth and depth a comprehensive understanding of it. Ask them about their faith and you get shallowness, inaccuracies, vagueness. They say they believe, but they do not know what they believe or why. That's not enough. Young people, you need to know what you believe and why. A vague and shallow faith is like a dull and flimsy sword. It can look good during a parade, but it is useless in battle. It's not enough to just have a faith. You need to know the content of your faith. You need to have a firm grasp of Christian doctrine. You need to have a firm grasp of, of Christian morals and ethics. You need to know the content of your faith. But it's not enough to know the content of your faith. You need to have a character of faith. Just as a flimsy and dull sword is useless in battle, so is a strong and sharp sword if you're a coward who drops it and runs as soon as the fight comes. You have to have the content of your faith, that's the strong and sharp sword, but then you have to have the character of faith to stand firm and to wield it in the spiritual battle. Be exemplary in faith. Lastly, be exemplary in purity. This is what you do in relationships with the opposite sex and how holy you are in your thoughts and in your actions. You know, I wanna just say, give you one reason to be pure, and that's this. God has made you an earthen vessel designed for a noble purpose, which is to carry the priceless gospel to souls who need it. You carry, you, in your body, you carry the gospel, the bread of life, the living water. You carry it to those who are dying of hunger, dying of spiritual thirst, and you hand it to them. Can you imagine if, if our church, you know, the Lord just amazingly blessed us to raise that 85,000 for those grannies and for those children who are suffering in Uganda. Imagine if we sent you to deliver that bread and that water, and you were given a vessel and you're going to make this priceless delivery, would you take that vessel and first fill it with trash and then carry the bread? Fill it with sewage and then carry the living water? No, because what you're carrying is so priceless and so valuable, you would go to great lengths to make sure you kept the vessel clean and pure. 
That's why you need to be sexually pure. That's why you need to be relationally pure because you are a carrier of a holy gift. Don't pollute your life with impurity. Keep the dish clean. Keep your life pure. How can you do it? Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Follow God's law. His will for you. Young people, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. I believe your generation can be the third awakening generation. But for that to happen, it has to start with you, and it has to start with going to work on these five areas. Your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, and your purity. Lord, I pray that that would be the description of our younger generation. I pray for the children and the teens and the youth and the young adults, those who, like Timothy, are in their early 30s and all who are youthful. Lord, I pray that they will be exemplary, not just okay, but exemplary in these five areas. And Lord, we believe that if they will devote themselves to that, that you will do great things through them. And for that we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna invite the men to come and to serve the bread. As they come, I wanna ask the young people to spend some time committing yourself to those five qualities. And I wanna ask the older generation to do the same. We are to follow that example. I also want to ask the older generation to spend some time perhaps repenting if you've had a negative attitude towards younger generations. We need to believe in faith that God will do marvelous things through them. Men, come and serve the bread.